0: Chapter 4. Implementation The key to keeping anything going is a system. Would you want to have to constantly check on quality and peer in on every aspect of your business? Or would you rather have a system take care of it? Most people are familiar with systems when it comes to production, but culture itself can be systematized. The system starts at the very beginning, at the idea stage. Where will you start? How will you get ideas? Which ideas will work best? How can you test the idea? How do you make sure it doesn't spark then die out? How do you build people's skills to turn ideas into reality? This section will answer all these questions and more. Ideation. At this point, you're swimming with ideas. Ideation is all about gathering those ideas, thinking them through, and picking one to start with. One. Gather your ideas. What ideas have you taken thus far from the book? What are ideas from other companies that you would like to try? What experience do you want to have every day at your company? What would be a ritual that would make that experience come to life? Listen through the culture toolkit and troubleshooting sections if you need more ideas. It's best if you can gather your ideas in some kind of visual way. Sticky notes are ideal because you can move them around, and they're still visual and tangible. 2. Select either the idea with the longest effect or the highest leverage. A long effect means it will last for generations. So for example, that may be discovering and implementing your core values. It's not the easiest or shortest journey, but it certainly has a long effect. High leverage means it will have a high output with low input. Zappos calls this do more with less. Letting someone go is an example of this. It takes no resources to let someone go who you know isn't a culture fit. But the impact is huge, and it's felt the very next day. You can hear more examples in the Immediate Win section. 3. Write down every thought, goal, and obstacle connected to the idea. Before we go into the process of turning it into a reality, Write down all your thoughts, emotions, hesitations, and big wins that you connect to this idea. And write down why this idea is important to you. Experiments over prototypes. Have you ever tried to pitch a project or a change and found that people are resistant? Do you know why? No matter what the details, it's because of their beliefs. They don't believe it will work. They have no way of knowing for certain but their experiences in life have created their interpretation so they don't believe it will work. Now they might be right or they may be wrong. The question is not how you can talk them out of their current belief. The question is how can you get what you need without requiring them to change their beliefs. Enter the beta test. The beta is a test. It's an experiment. Note that it's not a pilot. It's not a program. And it's not an initiative, because all of those things come with the fear that if they don't work, then there will be a lot of damage as a result. But an experiment is a small, cheap, fast, and easy way to determine if your hypothesis is correct. It's very scientific in that sense. It either achieves its goal or it doesn't. Or perhaps it achieves a secondary, unintended goal. The sticky note was developed out of a quote-unquote failed Adhesive that did not permanently stick. The beta comes from the software world. For culture purposes, it's a way to scale back the scope of a change, such that we can learn from it. The big mistake is to put a lot of energy, time, and money into a company wide change without even knowing how well it will work. Even a pilot will not work because there is often far too much energy and attention required to justify the risk. Instead, Small experiments will quickly show you what works and what does not. Let's go into the blueprint within the blueprint to show you how to make this happen. The Beta Blueprint Know your goal. Once you've picked the change you want to make, it's important to be specific about what it is and why you feel it's important. Determine the gatekeeper and stakeholders. The gatekeeper is anyone who holds the resources you need to do this—money, personnel, space, etc. If you have a culture that already values innovation and you don't need resources, then you often don't need permission, provided that you limit the downside. The stakeholders are anyone who would ultimately be affected by what you're trying. Plan your pitch. Before approaching someone, really get in touch with your passion and excitement. It's infectious. Next, the point is not to sell or get buy-in or to change someone's mind. The point is to offer your belief as a hypothesis and ask for what you need such that you can test it without doing any serious damage if you're wrong. The way you figure that out is by taking any big idea you have and shrinking its dimensions. If you are in the startup world, this could also be considered a pivot within the lean methodology. Dimensions to adjust. Scope. Reduction in amount of work. Reach. Reduction in number of people it will affect. Duration. Reduction in overall length of the test. Segment. A change in test audience. Value. Change in the metric that will be improved. Cost. Figure out how it can be done for less money. Technology. Use something rudimentary or even paper. Let's use an example. Let's say you want to revamp your entire attraction or recruiting process. That's a big deal, and if there's already a process there, it could be very disruptive. But we can easily find our beta test if we run it through the dimensions. Scope. Change from the entire recruiting process to only the interview. Reach. Use only one department. Duration. Limit the test to only one month. Segment. Switch departments or groups to one that is more open to a test. Value. Switch test to the application process because the CEO cares more about attracting applicants. Cost. Reduce the number of hours by limiting the number of interviews. Technology. Rather than installing a candidate tracking system, use Microsoft Excel. You can keep playing with the dimensions until you get a green light for your beta test. Note, you may have to do this on the spot while you're pitching it. Next, pick a scoring mechanism. It's tempting to assume that the beta test will either go well or it won't, but life is hardly that black and white. What is your success criterion? How will you know whether it was successful and to what degree? You have to pick how you're going to keep score in this game. Hint. Pick something that your stakeholders really care about. Scoring mechanisms include increases, such as revenue or profit. Decreases, such as absenteeism, injuries, or time spent. Experience quality, measured by net promoter score. Engagement index, happiness, fulfillment, activity, and contribution. Make it emotionally relevant. Joseph Stalin, the Soviet dictator, said, "One death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic." When we make it personal, it all becomes real and it hits home. So let's say your goal is to reduce employee turnover. Turnover is just a statistic. But think about one powerful story, or one powerful person, and get your audience to imagine losing that one person, then multiplying that by a hundred. People make decisions by emotions. So bring it back to a story and make it real. Practice your pitch. Now that you have it all mapped out, it's time to address your blind spots. If you're doing anything totally on your own, then you have blind spots. Would you rather discover them during the game or during a practice? Share your idea and your pitch with someone and ask them to consider the following. Did you feel moved by the idea? Do you believe that if it were successful, it would prove valuable? Do you think the beta test is limited, such that it will not be a major distraction? Do you think that the request is reasonable? Do you think we are tracking the most important indicators of success? It actually helps if you think of this whole process as flirting. You don't have control of other people. Instead, you're playing, you're dancing, and you're seeing if you really connect. A beta story I was speaking with a friend at a company, and he was in total dismay. He was tasked with figuring out a way to create more innovation within a team, using the 80-20 principle. In this case, the company saw that Google gave its developers 20% of their time to work on whatever they want, knowing that great innovations come out of such unstructured time. He worked on a report for six months, presented it to the CEO, who read it and said, We can't do this. This would disrupt our work too much. Dave was totally dismayed. He had poured his heart and soul into that research report, and he gave the COO exactly what he was asking for. And yet now, his value to the company was actually being questioned. But sometimes we don't even need to create an entire beta blueprint. Sometimes we can just have an inquisitive conversation, listening to what someone wants and using questions to parse out what they need. Imagine if the conversation went something like this, starting with the COO. I heard Google does 20% innovation time. How about you figure out how we can do it? Then we'll implement it here. Okay, let's take a step back first. Tell me what you really want. Why should we do this? What would be the great win? Well, we could come up with major innovations that we wouldn't even think of. Okay, great. What would that breakthrough look like? Um, some kind of industry-changing product. Awesome. Is there a particular type of product or industry? Well, I really want us to develop something for the hospitality industry. Fantastic. How about we test this out in a way where we can learn what works, but if it doesn't work, we don't lose a lot of time and money. That sounds perfect. We'll need three guys in product development. Who comes to mind? Um, John, Ed, and Marty. Great. I'll sit down with them and ask them when they can schedule 20% of their time. They'll do it for 30 days, thinking about products for the hospitality industry. I'll check in with them and coach them once a week to help them with any blocks. We'll do it for a month and report on how it's going. I'll tell you the result. You tell me if it's worth it. Wait, that's 32 hours times three people. That's 96 hours. It can't be this month. We have way too much to do. That's every month. No, we we really need to delay this. Okay, well, there's no getting around the fact that the time will have to come from somewhere. And I said 30 days because I thought 90 days would scare you. What amount of time would be reasonable to you? Um, I'd say 60 hours. Okay, great. And the conversation would go on with Dave adjusting the dimensions, pivot of the conversation until guy is at the edge of his comfort zone. Perhaps they would also change the problem to something smaller such that they can see traction sooner. Market internally. If you build it, they will come. The fallacy in all internal programs. The problem is that people do not consider internal communications as a form of marketing. Everyone thinks that marketing is necessary only when it's about customers. Why? Because customers have choices, and you have to get their attention, their time, and their money through influence. The error is to assume that just because the company issues the paycheck, that it also controls the attention, time, and passion of its people. This is why a great program or initiative can go bad. There are two reasons why. First, anything new requires a change, and change is only accepted immediately when something bad is taken away. For example, abolishing the dress code is a change that people instantly love because it's taking away rules. It frees people. A change that adds time or complexity, no matter how good, will always be met with grunts and groans. The only way employees push through that is when they believe in it. Second, there often is no buildup, no anticipation, no perceived future set of events that makes it more and more intriguing. This is what it's all about. This is why Apple spends so much time focusing on their product launches. Why would they do that when people already love their products? Why do existing Apple customers wait with bated breath? It's because they know that the company will create an experience, a moment in time that will later become legend, one they want to experience. How much? Would you like the changes at your company to feel like that? If you're ready to start thinking about this as internal market adoption, please eliminate the following expression from your vocabulary. How do we make people do blank? Why? Because you can't make anyone do anything. It all comes down to personal choice. A better question is how do we find out their needs and serve them? The answer to this question is the core of the value proposition in your marketing rollout. Example, rolling out coaching. Quote, a designer is someone who changes need into demand. End quote, Tom Peters in design. In 2010, Zappos Insights started the Goals program as a way to systematically provide life coaching to Zappos employees. The idea behind it was that if people are achieving both their professional and personal goals as a result of a benefit offered at the company, then why would they ever want to leave? And if employees are dealing with issues that are troubling them, then it takes away from their concentration at work. So why not offer a great resource? The challenge was to roll out the program in a way that would greatly benefit the company and the employees while educating many new people about its benefits. But there was also a trap to avoid. In researching coaching programs at other companies, I found that despite being highly effective—one top professional services firm actually calculated the coaching yielded a strong return on investment for the company—programs were often cut when times were bad because they were an easy, non-essential line item to axe. So how could the program be developed in a way that not only made it effective, but would make people regard it as a rich tradition to be proud of and maintained? We did a round of interviews, picked our coach, Augusta Scott, sent her to coaching school, Coach's Training Institute, and began strategizing the internal marketing rollout. Here are the steps. One, stack the deck in your favor. You always want to start with a win, so make sure you get one. How? By only starting with a small group of enthusiastic people who have opted in. These are your champions, your superfans. They see the benefit and they want to go for it. For the coaching program, we asked people to apply to be the first, and we only selected the 10 most passionate. The result? 100% of them achieved their goal. The program looked pretty darn effective, and we could leverage that momentum to the next stage. Two, don't make it available to everyone. Rather than making coaching immediately available to everyone, we made it available gradually to more and more people. This was important not only to drive demand, It was also important for Coach Augusta not to take on too much at once. Otherwise, she would have become overwhelmed and done a disservice to her clients. A slower rollout builds in room for learning. Three, gain small commitments. If people make a small commitment, they are much more likely to see the whole thing through. So, for example, charities have found that it's much easier to raise money from potential donors if the prospective givers are asked to take some kind of small action first. Someone who is asked to wear a pink bow for cancer awareness, costing the wearer virtually no money, is much more likely to contribute to the cause when asked later than someone who was directly asked for money without being asked to wear the bow first. We applied the idea of small commitments by requiring interested employees to first attend a class to learn how coaching works. This also saved Augusta a lot of time by educating a group all at once, rather than in individual sessions. The participants then had to fill out a sheet articulating their goals in order to be scheduled for their appointment. This built clarity and commitment before the sessions even began. Lastly, it served as a way to slow down the process so that there was not a huge wave of clients all at once. 4. Celebrate the Achievers Those who achieve their goal through the program are given a bracelet, a t-shirt, and a pin to commemorate their win. They are also given a goals celebration lunch where they and their peers who have achieved goals gather and celebrate together. Five, socialize the success. To make sure that people know the program is working and to further the celebration, the achievers are announced in the middle of the call center floor where everyone can see them. They also have the opportunity to write their goal and their name on the stairway wall. And we also made a music video to share with the company. The culture sell. If you take a look at cultures that are working well, you'll see that unbreakable rituals and celebrations work according to this idea of the culture cell. It's the most basic element of system design applied to organizational behavior. I call it the self-reinforcing positive feedback loop. It starts with a value, or the stock you want to increase. And there is an event that happens that gets turned into a ritual, which is that reinforcement. From that ritual comes stories. And those stories get circulated and feed how the value is perceived within the organization. So how it works is actually very simple. Let's say you value growth and learning. You then create a ritual that will make this value come to life. So let's say you have no money to spend on this, and you make it a monthly lunch and learn. Every first Friday at lunch, people gather in one area, and team members teach a new skill to the group. You do the first one yourself, teaching everyone your ninja email skills that tame your inbox to zero. After that, you collect stories about how it went. Some people loved it, and their lives are so much better now that they have mastered email. Others are struggling, but what's this? The people who have mastered it can teach the others. You then share all the successes with the team, otherwise they might not even know about it, which builds excitement for the next lunch and learn. But wait, what are you going to do next? Looks like the ritual needs more structure to it, maybe a sign-up sheet by person and topic so that you can schedule them in advance. The model grows in complexity, but only as it needs to. For example, your company may get huge, and then you need a process to screen for topics so that they will be of interest to everyone, or maybe you break them up into smaller groups, and maybe you need more structure to both capture and share success stories. Let's get into those mechanisms. Story capture. Stories are all we are ever left with. They hydrate the culture, as well as convey the experiences that shaped the organization. Stories become the new mythology passed on to each generation, as well as to new customers and to journalists. Today, the power of video has made it easy for anyone to tell stories without even knowing how to write. So make sure to capture the story of this first beta project. Here are a few simple ways you can start capturing and sharing stories. On the spot. For less than $200, an iPod Touch has the camera, mic, and editing equipment right on board to create short films. Anyone can do it, though it's even better if you can dedicate a team member to the process. Contests. Competition always motivates. Think of fun rewards for the best customer stories. Stories at meetings. Consider starting meetings out with a story. Ask people to come to a meeting with a great customer story or a challenge they overcame. Company history. The story of how the company started is always very powerful. But how will it be remembered? Create a project to use various media, photos, videos, interviews, etc. to tell the entertaining story of how the organization was founded. Next, think about where and when the story is retold. For example, the company website, blogs, first day of work for new employees, at the company party, etc. Reinvention So you've thought of an idea, you've experimented, pivoted, and succeeded. Then you captured the story. What's next? Well, the next idea, of course. Oftentimes it comes out of crisis, a change in the market, a competitor who pulls ahead, a change in technology but the smartest companies are the ones that anticipate great changes. They don't do this by predicting the future. They do it by creating the future. As Steve Jobs said when he announced a new iPod, the iPod is the best-selling personal music device in the world, which is why we're completely changing it. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Here are the questions you need to ask yourself before you start shaking things up. 1. Do you have importance? Why must we do something? Two, do you have urgency? Why must we do something now? Three, what is the immediate action or win? Listen to the immediate win section and culture toolkit in general for ideas. Four, do you have a regular meeting set up? How are we keeping this top of mind rather than letting it slip? Five, is this a hell yeah? If not, what would make it one? The Process of Transformation In a way, it really doesn't matter where you start. What's most important is that you simply start. The experience itself will give you the wisdom and confidence to make deeper and bigger changes that will be unique to you and your organization. Here is how that process works. There's potential. Then you take an action. Then you gain a result. And then you change the belief that you can do it. And with this new belief that you can do it, you see a new potential that perhaps you didn't believe you could achieve. But taking the action and getting a result, again, changes the belief. So to go over that, stage one, potential. This is where the idea starts. You see an opportunity for improvement. Something frustrates you, and you want to make a change. But it only stays in your mind unless you advance to stage two. Stage two, action. You take some sort of action, illustrated in detail through the beta blueprint. With enough shifting and pivoting through the process, you get to stage three, result. You've achieved something. Stage four, belief. Through working that muscle of achievement, you advance your belief in yourself and your own capabilities. You've already done this your whole life. Now with this new belief, you take a look at new opportunities and the cycle repeats. So as you can see, the game we are playing is simply constantly upgrading your beliefs about what's possible and giving you the tools to make it happen. It's a virtuous cycle that if turned into a habit becomes a self-reinforcing positive feedback loop. Limiting Beliefs Are you ready to start building? Are you sure? As we said, any limiting beliefs need to be noted and accounted for. For example, let's take the limiting belief, This culture shift is going to be really hard. Very time-consuming and probably expensive. Do you have any beliefs like this? If so, make sure to write them down and ask yourself, 1. Are these beliefs true? 2. I mean it. Really ask yourself, if you had to bet your life, would you be certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that this belief is true? 3. When you hold this belief, what's the cost? How do you feel? How does it affect your outlook about the future? 4. If you were to give up this belief and let it go, what opens up? What becomes possible? This process is sourced from Byron Katie's The Work. Really think about these questions. If you do, you'll clear out your own roadblocks. And whether you do or do not, make sure to watch The Parking Lot Movie. It's on Netflix. It shows how a simple parking lot was able to create a stronger culture than most corporations, with no resources.